Welcome back to the Daily Devotion. My name is Kevin Hale. I'm the pastor of Christ Church Conway, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America here in Conway, Arkansas. The Daily Devotion is a time for us to be strengthened in our faith through the study of Scripture and theology. We're starting a new study today. We've just finished up a study on the book of Galatians. We took a few days and ran through very quickly uh, the, the, the story of David and Goliath. We barely scratched the surface on that story. Perhaps sometime we'll come back to it and dive into and, and, and dig into all the different biblical theological references that are found there. It's an absolutely fascinating story. But today we're starting a new study on the book of Esther. We just finished, like I said, Galatians in the New Testament. So now we return to the Old Testament. And the book of Esther uh, is, is a compelling story for a number of reasons. And so I thought we would dive into this incredible little book that is found in the, the writings, the third section of the Hebrew canon, and give it a look and see what we learn about God. So let me pray for us. And today's mostly going to be an introduction, but let me pray for us. We will read the first nine verses of the book of Esther, and then we'll jump in. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this story that does teach your providence and teaches us to trust you in all kinds of wild circumstances. We ask that you would use this story over these days that we look at it to teach us to trust you. Give us wisdom, we ask, by your spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now in the days of Ahasuerus, the Ahasuerus who reigned from India to Ethiopia, over 127 provinces, in those days, when King Ahasuerus sat on his royal throne in Susa, the capital, in the third year of his reign, he gave a feast for all his officials and servants. The army of Persia and Medea and the nobles and governors of the provinces were before him. While he showed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor and pomp of his greatness for many days, 180 days. And when these days were completed, the king gave for all the people present in Susa, the citadel, both great and small, a feast lasting for seven days in the court of the gardens of the king's palace. There were white cotton curtains and violet hangings fastened with cords of fine linen and purple to silver rods and marble pillars, and also couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl, and precious stones. Drinks were served in golden vessels, vessels of different kinds, and the royal wine was lavished according to the bounty of the king. And drinking was according to this edict. There is no compulsion. For the king had given orders to all the staff of his palace to do as each man desired. Queen Vashti also gave a feast for the women in the palace that belonged to King Ahasuerus. So there's the opening to the story. Now before we dive into some of the things that we see there, I want us to make a few kind of introductory comments about the book of Esther. Of course, we know the, the general story, or maybe perhaps you don't, so I'll, I'll lay it out very quickly so that we have kind of the, the, the markers of the story in our mind. There, there's this king, Ahasuerus, also known as King Xerxes. We know a lot about him from the ancient historian Herodotus. And this story is taking place after the, the return of those that Ezra and Nehemiah write about. So Ezra and Nehemiah haven't gone back yet. Remember from our study on, uh, on Ezra that they came much later. Um, but Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, they, they came much later, but the, the story that they were writing took place before the story of Esther. So this is a story about exiles that didn't return, which, by the way, was the majority of the Jewish people. They didn't return back to Jerusalem. 
And, and so that's kind of the, the setting from a historical standpoint. And King Ahasuerus or King Xerxes was over uh, the, the Persian Empire, which, as the word tells us here, uh, extended from India to Ethiopia. So it, it was this massive empire. It also, by the way, included Asia Minor. In fact, it included all of the world that would have been known to the king except for Greece. And that speaks to what some see as the, as the uh, reason for this big party that was being thrown. Some people think that what was happening here, and they think this because just after when we think this might have been happening, uh, Persia went to war with Greece, which they lost. But, but what, what some people think might have been happening in this 180-day party is the king kind of flexing his muscle, so to speak, showing his wealth, showing his power, showing who he was, all the pomp and circumstance, kind of, kind of cultivating confidence in his people that they could, in fact, go and attack the Greeks and win. So, as we as we look at the story of Esther, though, there, there's as, as we'll see as we read through it, there's an you know an odd absence, and that odd absence is this: God is never mentioned once in the entire story. For this reason, some people have seen this viewed this book with with some level of skepticism as to whether it should even be in the canon. Uh, I don't know exactly the level of skepticism that Luther and Calvin viewed it, but I do know that neither of them wrote a commentary that we have on the book of Esther. So the question is then, why, why is it in here? What, what are we supposed to learn? What do we gather from this story? And as Joyce Baldwin points out, there are certain kind of educational uh, purposes to it. It does help us understand the historical setting. It helps us understand some of the things that were happening in the Jewish time. It gives us the background for the Feast of Purim, a, a feast that still is celebrated. And it's a feast that came from this story, celebrating the deliverance of the Jews from Haman, this one who wanted to kill them. It's still celebrated today with incredible vigor and gifts are given and, and the story is read. And in fact, anytime the name of Haman is written, Everybody yells and makes noise and in order to kind of blot his name out of the story. It's a big party to this day, even in modern Israel. So there are those educational kind of historical purposes that give us some explanation of the Jewish setting and, and the setting of scripture and, and what life was like in the, in the exile in this kind of intertestamental period. However, that's not the extent of what we can learn from the book of Esther. There are also these theological purposes. I want to read two quotes, one from uh, J. Gordon McConville, a, a great Old Testament uh, scholar and commentator, and he writes regarding the book of Esther, the silence about God is quite deliberate, not to make the point that he is inactive in human situations, but on the contrary, that he is hidden behind all events. Joyce Baldwin, another great commentator, writes, in short, the book of Esther strongly supports and illustrates the doctrine of divine providence as it operated at a particular time of danger to the Jewish people who lived under Persian domination. So here we're in this kind of happy providential reality of our own now, aren't we? Because we've been studying the doctrine of God's providence in our Westminster Wednesday looks at the Westminster Confession of Faith. And here we come to the book of Esther, and that's really what this story is about. 
I agree wholeheartedly with what McConville and Baldwin both write here. Uh, they, they, they get it exactly right. Yes, God is absent from this story by name, but only by name. What we see is that he is providentially at work, ruling and overruling in the affairs of men through ordinary means, through secondary causes, but in order to bring about his perfect will according to his good pleasure. And so what we see in the book of Esther, really, if we were to sum it up, is would be something along this lines. No earthly power, no matter how grand, no matter how powerful they may be, no earthly power can undo God's will for his people. That's really, when it comes right down to it, that's the point of the book of Esther. No earthly power, no matter how grand, no matter how powerful they may seem, no matter how fearsome they may be, no matter how respected by the world they may be, no matter how rich, no matter how anything, no earthly power can undo God's will for his people. So as we go back to these first nine verses, we, we begin to see the first stone of this point of doctrine set in place. As, as the author describes this party that King Ahasuerus, or also known as King Xerxes, as, as he describes this party that is being thrown by the king, it presents him as this just astonishing king. He, he is powerful. He rules. The, the majority of the known world is under his authority. He has riches beyond belief. He has the ability to throw a party that lasts for 180 days, half of a year, six months, a six-month-long party. Probably what was happening was different provinces would send their kings and their governors and their, their rulers at different times. There was probably for, for these six months just kind of this, this constant flow in and out of important people into the capital city of Susa as the king continued to display his glory and his splendor, and as it says, the pomp of his greatness for all these days. The point of this party was to show how great, how powerful, how mighty this king was. And then at the end, he throws this seven-day, no-holds-bar hold, no kind of concluding festival where, where everything is just done up. Everything is beautiful. The, the most extravagant, the most expensive, the most wonderful foods and, and decorations and everything. Couches made out of gold, sitting on you know streets and patios paved with precious jewels and gems and rock. That's the context of this party. What the author of, of Esther is wanting us to see right at the beginning is that if anyone, based on earthly power, based on earthly importance, based on earthly reputation, based on earthly wealth, if anyone was in the position to thwart God's plan for his people, it was this guy. If anyone could undo God's will, if anyone could stand against it, if anyone had the worldly means, 
in spades, it was this guy. That, that's what the author, in part, is wanting us to see here. That, that this is the apex of earthly power and respect and wealth and ability. And even he, as we're going to see as the story goes on, can't undo God's will for his people. So what we're going to learn to do as we read the book of Esther and study it together is to trust God in every situation. May God be with us as we do that. Amen. Thank you.